Welcome to the Broadcasters Roundtable here on Flyers Radio 24-7. Broadcasters Roundtable is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Lottery. Play Pennsylvania Lottery games online for cash prizes. Sign up today at palottery.com and get a $500 first-time deposit bonus. Players must be 18 or older. Please play responsibly. Benefits older Pennsylvanians every day. Well, they're about to enter the final full month of the NHL season, and the Flyers have as many questions as they do answers at this point as they continue to fight for that last playoff spot in the East with our latest Broadcasters Roundtable with Jim Jackson, Steve Coates, Bill Meltzer. I'm Tim Saunders. Guys, back to back wins for the first time in March ordinarily would be reason for optimism, but uh, I don't think... Uh, nothing is that easy this year. Um, I'll say for the record, I have zero answers to explain what we've seen the last few weeks. I'm really hoping that you guys come with some. Uh, Jimmy, how would you explain this topsy-turvy last few weeks? No pressure there at all, Tim. You're relying on us. (laughs) You realize who you're talking to here? (laughs) Uh, You know, it's amazing because they haven't had many wins in the month of March. But almost every one of them has been kind of an emotional win. You think the comeback win in Pittsburgh. Uh, they came back again against Buffalo. They had the, the effort, the Lindblom goal on Long Island, the overtime win in New York, uh, then, the, then the goal with Sam. You would have thought those were wins that could have led to a winning streak. But they followed up almost every one of those wins with a clunker. And that is just mind-boggling to me. Uh, and then... You know, you go into the game against Buffalo, you've got that emotional win, you've got your coach saying, got to be ready for this team, can't look at their record, I'm relying on the, the leaders to have this team ready, and they played two periods, and, and it was dreadful. I mean, they, they were just outplayed badly by a team that hadn't won in 17 games. They come back and win it. It, it is amazing, uh, and I was happy to see the response from the players that they weren't happy with with the the game. I mean, you could easily say, "Wow, what a win!" You know, three down in the third, you come back and get the win. But uh, for the most part, they were all, uh, "This is not good enough." Especially Drew, and that that's the right thing. They're saying the right things, but they they just got to to walk the walk, and they've got to put wins together. And I know this team has it in them. We've seen it. Uh, in certain games. We've seen it certainly in certain periods. Have we seen it consistently? No. Uh, And that is going to have to happen. They have to develop some kind of consistency. I I do think a a player move might change the dynamic a little bit, just shake things up. Coatsy can talk about that, how when when a trade happens or a a player is added to the mix somehow, it can just change the dynamic somehow, and that might help this team. Uh, But as Chuck Fletcher has said, it's tough finding dance partners right now on on the trade front. Next to Coatsy, I can tell you his frustration was palpable. Mm. I felt it the other night in the first of the Buffalo game. Let's take a look at the the season as a whole. Um, at the beginning of the year, the goaltenders were standing on their head, especially Brian Elliott. They were getting outshot every game, but they, they were winning. All of a sudden, they started win, uh, outshooting the opponent, but they started losing. I think it tells everything to me in watching the bench. The bench is absolutely listless. Why? How can you have a hockey team in a 56-game schedule, listless. Now, I, I give them a lot of credit. They came back. But why do they put themselves in that position? And I have a question, and, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible about this because this is a real tough time. Bruins won again the other night. 
So now you got a situation where there's going to be a chase for that fourth that fourth spot. Did they come back and win that game, or did the Buffalo Sabers lose the game because they didn't play? They had no clue what they were doing. None. They were poorly coached. They had nothing going for themselves. And you know why they didn't know what they were doing? They never had a lead, so they didn't know how to hold it. So. Are we supposed to be all excited that they came back against the worst team in the history of the National Hockey League from a three-goal deficit to win and say we're going to start, you know, really being excited? I think these are the questions that have to be answered. I don't have the answer, but I'm watching emotion. I'm huge on emotion. I'm huge on the thing that's right here, that logo. And right now, I'm not seeing it. So I'm scared about it. And not scared. I'm worried about it because there's no consistency. And I think that... it. it, it the other teams right now are just taking full advantage. Well, fortunately, we have the answer guy here. Bill Melcher is going to put all this. <laughs> You're down to one last guy here, Tim. perspective, <laughs> Billy? Well, I mean, a lot of it comes down to, you know, I mean, it comes up over and over and over again. When, when coaches or players talk about playing the right way. If you, when you look at the first goal that Buffalo scored, you know, in, in, in Monday night's game, where you have – five Flyers players all closely spaced on one side of the ice and the goal gets scored on the weak side, right? Now, you know, when you, when you look at that play, it was a really interesting play to me because, you know, you have, you have your one winger, he's, he's involved in a, you know, on the, in the scrum on the boards. Um, your, your weak side winger, which is a veteran, Jake Voracek, he's where he should be. He's on, he's, you know, he's on the left side and he has, uh, you know, he has defensive position there. And then Jake crosses over to the right side, exits the zone as, as the board battle is going on. So now when the battle gets lost and, and uh, Sam Moran is also over on the right side, you have an entire open side of the ice. And, you know, Yokoharu steps in, shot from, a, shot from the right circle. And Brian Elliott had stood in his head all period. But, I mean, that went through the five hole and was probably a stoppable shot. I mean, you, if you want to look in a nutshell at things that have gone wrong in March, that one play – speaks to, you know, just, just breakdowns of detail, a, a puck that's stoppable going in. You know, I mean, it, it really comes down to that. If you look at the game against the Rangers, the game before, where I was really concerned after after uh, Zabinijad scores yet again and had a way too easy goal, a tap-in on, on the power play, but, uh-oh, here, here we go again. Well, the Flyers responded the right way there. They were the better team the rest of that period. They built on the second period. And, and lo and behold, they, they find a way to win that game two to one. Only, you know, only two games this entire month have the Flyers allowed fewer than three goals. I mean, you know, that that, that is, if you're in a nutshell, why it's happening. How do you correct it? Well, you know, you have to you have to play as five man units. You need saves when when a save is possible. I mean, you know, but we we say it over and over again, but it, it hasn't happened in back to back games. I really thought the two to one overtime loss against the Islanders might have been. The best 60 minutes of hockey the Flyers played all year, and they ran into kind of a hot goalie that game, which happens, but it wasn't followed up. Like the next, you know, next game against the Devils was an ugly one, and you, you know, the Rangers blow you out for a second straight time. So it's, you know, it, it's hard to stay with any kind of degree of confidence. Okay, you, you come back and you you win a game. You know, will that be followed up in this game and going forward? I mean. It, it has to be. This, uh, you know, this can't go on. Well, consistency obviously is the the operative word, and there's been none of it, and that's, I guess, why it's so frustrating. Frustrating too, because 
guys, I think we know this team is better than they're showing right now. When they play that effective forecheck, it can be smothering. But when it's not, it's not. Um, Jimmy, it's, to me, it, it kind of starts there. Yeah, it really does. That's the barometer. You can tell where the team's at. If you're not seeing them get in on the forecheck, if you're seeing them go east-west with their plays through the neutral zone or turning it over in the defensive zone or just not getting in within any intensity on the forecheck, they're just not They're not going to – if they're spending a lot of time in their own zone, they're not, not going to be in good shape. The, the most concerning thing to me uh, about this whole season is if you, you go back to our first roundtable or even our roundtable uh, during the offseason – we are all excited about the youthful core of this team, and I'm not seeing the development there. And that is a scary thing because that's where the, that's where the future of this franchise is. If you really gave me the seasons of of uh, Couturier and Giroux and most of the the, the veterans, I mean the veterans at Voracek, it's pretty much what I expected, and maybe yeah. a little better from Coots since he's been incredible. Um, and and Giroux's had some games where he has kind of pushed the team, although. The team got behind under his lead, too. But, uh, you know, the game the other night, there was a game in Pittsburgh where, where he kind of picked things up. And I, I look at the veterans, and, and from a production standpoint, at least, it's it's kind of what I expected. But we're not seeing the step for Myers, the step for Sanheim, the step for Hart, the step for Konechny. These are the players that are going to be the future of this franchise. I don't know why that's the case why they aren't taking that next step. They're not taking over the team. When Elaine Vigneault went to the short bench in Buffalo, it was young players that all sat, not, not the, not the guys who might be uh, needing rest or whatever. It was the veterans playing and the youngsters and like Patrick and, 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 you know, Oscar and, and, and Nolan, I'll give a little bit of a pass to because they missed a whole year, but even them, I would expect to start to be contributing at this point of the season. So uh, it's a really worrisome thing for me, guys, because that's why we were so excited about this team, the youthful core getting better, the veterans contributing, but the youthful core kind of uh, taking the team over. And it really just hasn't happened. With Oscar, it's interesting because you know, when he came back from COVID, he had a little surge and then it dropped off and uh, then he was scratched a game and, you know, it looked like he was really putting everything together and, and the energy levels dropped off again with him. I mean, it's not an effort thing. You so know, I don't, it's not really, effort. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like he has, he's had little surges, little segments where it looks like he's starting to put everything back together again, winning puck battles, getting to the net, those kind of things, you know, even, even with, uh, even with Nolan Patrick and those couple of games leading up to the, to the power play goal against the Rangers, he, he seemed more involved. It looked like he was getting some chances. But it needs to be followed up. The gut, the you know, I, I understand just based on the, their body work this season, why they they shortened the bench and they didn't play. And while I thought Joel Farabee though was was not having his best game by any means for two periods and on Monday, it did surprise me that Farabee, you know, was one of the guys who didn't see another ship, including the power play, just based on his body of work overall. And I know there's been a little bit of a drop off overall, but he is the one exception to the rule that what you were talking about, Jimmy. Exactly. He is yeah. the one guy who's taking a big step forward. Yeah, no doubt. And and I want to say I, when I'm I'm talking about this, I don't want to go to Oscar as the is the poster child for this because Oscar's, <laughs> I mean, the guy's a, a, a miracle that he's playing. So, uh, but the Konechny's, 
uh, you know, the Myers, the Sanheim, uh, Provorov has, has been, he certainly was good the other night, but I mean, even him, I'm looking for another step up. Uh, these are the guys that this, this franchise is being built around. Um, again, Oscar is just a tremendous story to be playing. So I don't want to, to insinuate. I was talking about him as much as I'm talking about some of these other guys and, uh, they've, they've got it. They've got to be there now. I, I don't know. Coach, you can relate to this. I think AV was making the statement by going to the veterans to saying vets take it over right here. As much as a statement to, to, to Farabee that you're playing like crap, uh, uh, you know, in that game, I think that was more about hmm. veterans take it over. Right. Well, yeah, I, I would agree with that, but I am, I'm quite frankly, uh, tired of listening to all the cliches about what's wrong. Uh, I really don't care what they say. I care what they do. Yeah. And this isn't about itemization of each individual player. I mean, they're mad, murdering the goalies right now. I mean, it's not the goalies. Do they make mistakes? Yeah, they make mistakes. Okay, so the kid the other night for Buffalo is all by himself. Wow, we got to blame the goalie. He's all by himself, one-on-one. It's, it's absolutely fascinating to me. So all I'm saying about this whole thing, it's not about individuals. It's not about goalies and defense and forwards. It's about a team of 20 people that have to go out and play as a team. It's very simple to me. And that's a, 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 a pressure among themselves to come together to do the job. The bottom line is, is that you got an opportunity here, despite the problems you've had, despite the 9 nothing game, forget about it. It's over. It's done. Can't help you. It's, a, it's lost two points. It doesn't matter. It's what you got to do to look forward. You got games against people that you're chasing. Let's start seeing the Philadelphia Flyers that we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the year. That's simple. So the NHL trading deadline is coming up. It's April the 12th. The Flyers have a handful of games between now and then. They've got to resist the temptation to think that there are answers coming from somewhere else. They really got to look internally within that dressing room. But the Flyers did make a tactical move, placing Shane Gostis Bear on waivers. Um, he goes unclaimed, so now they've got some options, whether to send him to Lehigh or uh, put him on the taxi squad. It does potentially um, free up some cap space, so who knows? Maybe that allows Chuck a little bit more room to do something, but Jimmy making trades, not only is it not as easy as it might appear, but I don't believe Chuck is in the business of looking for a rental. I think any trade is going to have to help this team long-term rather than short-term. He may be looking that way. Um, and, and if that's the case, it would have to be more of a hockey trade, as they say, as opposed to just uh, trading a pick or trading money or whatever. I do think that uh, that the, the move with Ghost does – there is flexibility there. I know A.V. was talking about the flexibility in terms of his 23-man roster. I think it's – more flexibility in terms of perhaps acquiring somebody and then you can move uh, people around. You don't have to clear waivers again and all that. So it's very complicated this year too with the taxi squad. There's also complications in terms of trades with the expansion draft coming up. So, uh, you know, you go out and acquire a player who is a uh, term. Uh, Matthias Eckholm has been a name, of course, uh, that we've even talked about. Um, you know, he's, he's, in, he's contracted for next year. So you have to protect him or, then that means let two more forwards perhaps be unprotected. It's very complicated. 
Uh, although Chuck has said there's ways around these things. So uh, I'll, I'll take his word for that. Um, but he's found it pretty frustrating so far to me. There's just not a lot of activity out there. The flat cap, the fact that so many teams are in contention. Uh, there's just a lot of reasons why that the, the phone lines aren't exactly buzzing right now. I, I do think um, a trade, even for an unrestricted free agent, uh, a defenseman, you know, a, a Savard or or, or somebody like that, just, just to give them a, another veteran on D would help not only just because I think they need that, but as I said earlier, sometimes you make a move, you bring a different face in a different voice, maybe a veteran voice too. It just changes the chemistry somehow. And I think we've seen enough of this team this year, especially this month, that, that maybe the chemistry needs a little shakeup, just a little tweak or a little change of some, some, some sort that Maybe we'll have them develop some kind of consistency. So I wouldn't mind a, a move for an unrestricted guy, um, especially given the fact you have that expansion draft, because obviously unrestricted free agent, you're not going to have to worry about. Uh, you know, no. you, uh, you asked me about that earlier, and uh, I apologize. I didn't answer it as far as what the room is. The room definitely has way too much comfort right now. So what you have is a, a group that really hasn't had any like, oh my goodness, that's her, that, that player just got traded. Does that mean, or, you know, that mean, does that mean? And so I think that what you just said is absolutely correct. I mean, it, it comes as a jolt, especially for a team that hasn't faced a lot of trades in their locker room over the last period of time. So it would certainly help. It would really certainly help. Question is, if you find the right person, you know, we've seen a lot of people come in here that are supposed to be the next whirlwind player to be able to, you know, that splash to make the Flyers a lot better. And sometimes it just doesn't flat out work. So that's what's really tough about a general manager's job now is to be able to, to comprehend how he can handle the cap, how he, he can and change the, the, the emotion in his locker room and get a, an effective result of wins as compared to losses. But this market now, especially because of the shortened season and all the different things that are involved with the pandemic, this is a, this is a real tough one. I mean, even the the, the situation with Canada, where you, you got to make you can't make a trade with Canada unless you want to wait seven days for your player to go to Canada. So there's a lot of different moving parts here. But certainly, to get back to your original point, that a trade and new people, whether it be one person or people, would certainly help this team to maybe give them a jolt. Well, quickly, uh, coach, do you think that the ghost move? Might have had something to do with that comfort level. He's trying to shake that comfort level up a little bit. I don't disagree with that. Yep, I, I totally agree with it. I think that they were certainly in, in putting him on waivers. First of all, the first thing that came to my mind is that they couldn't trade him. So now they're going to put him on waivers to hope somebody will pick up. Maybe they can pick up a piece of the tab so they can take that number and have it available. And I feel sorry for Ghost. It's not a good sign when you don't get picked up on waivers for a guy that that has the talent he has. Um, I mean, he would probably help somebody on the power play, you would think. Uh, but I guess that numbers that he makes is a, a deterrent to that happening. And not Pardon. just the number, Coach. It's the term. It's it's two additional years left on the contract yeah. beyond the season. So that 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 certainly plays into it as, as well. And, and I do think there is something to, you know, if you're just looking for roster flexibility – you know, just, just to put a name out there, I mean, Eric Gustafson is only signed through this season, but he's making $3 million this season. And, you know, he's he's been a healthy scratch 12 times this season. So if that's all you're looking for, I, I think there there's your more likely candidate. But it reverberates more in the room of the guy who's been in the organization since 2012. 
Well, yeah. hard to speculate what Chuck's going to do. Um, I will just point out, as you guys all know, some of the worst trades you make are when you're desperate because other clubs are sure willing to get in line to help you out and take advantage of you <laughs> when they think you need to make a move. Uh, let's go in a different direction before we get done here. The Carter Hart plan to reset him, um, have him not dress even as the backup for a couple of games and take full advantage of what I think is a little bit of a break in the schedule, although this year there's no such thing. Next week, they're back to five in seven. So this might be the best opportunity to kind of allow him to work through these issues. Uh, Jimmy, some people are pretty uncomfortable with the way Elaine Vigneault uh, termed this he didn't mince words pull any punches with what his expectations are but in my mind we all laud av for holding guys accountable if you're going to hold the guys accountable you gotta hold guys accountable you do and you know timmy we have been um isolated or away from the team for so long now i only know when we were able to cover the team normally that carter hart was the hardest working guy or one of the hardest working guys on the team so Either something's changed or maybe A.V. didn't quite mean it the way it came out. But when you start questioning a player's work ethic, that's that's that can be <laughs> dicey. I hope the relationship isn't you know harmed in a bad way because uh, uh, I do like the fact that A.V. is uh, a guy who will call a player out. I, I think he does it with intention. I think he's a very smart man and he knows what he's doing. Um, but in this case, it's your quote-unquote franchise goalie who has this reputation of being a very hard worker who you just basically said isn't working hard enough i don't i, I mean that's the, I, I saw the quote i read it it came off a lot worse when i read it than when i actually saw him say it so you got to watch these things i'm not quite 100 sure where he was going with that uh, but the bottom line is i i thought it was a good idea because hey Brian Elliott's been lights out against Buffalo, so why not start Moose in these two games? And it does give Carter a, a legitimate reset, not just a day or two, a legitimate, you know, another off day as well. Um, so so I like that whole idea. But when he came out and said he needs to work harder, I mean, everybody, <laughs> I got texts from all kinds of people, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm shocked because the Carter Hart that I knew, and again, I haven't been around him in over a year now, but was a, a kid who just was always working on the, the techniques and working on everything. If anything, I thought maybe he, he shouldn't work quite as hard. Maybe he'd, he'd be better if he just let things flow. Um, so I was really surprised to hear that. I, I hope that, uh, you know, the relationship isn't harmed in any way and that uh, they move forward and that Carter does find his game. I, the bottom line is I, I love Brian Elliott. We've said this before. But Brian Elliott, you know, he's going to carry this team maybe to a certain point. They have to have Carter Hart if they're going to go to where they really want to go, you know, the promised land. They got to get him straightened out. So that's uh, that's object number one for, for this team is yeah. to get him back in here. I do agree with Coatsy, though. Hard for a goaltender to get his game back together the way they're playing in front of him right now. I mean, it's some of these chances, they have no chance at all. So how does a goalie get confidence? Uh, the other game, the last game that Carter played, against the Rangers. He gave up a ton of goals, but it was hard to find one where he really was at fault. So, um, you know, that it, it's a tough team to play him back of right now as a goalie and try to get your confidence because they're giving up these, you know, huge chances. I mean, just almost non-stoppable shots that, uh, so we'll see. It's, uh, you know, I'd be nice to have him get in there and face 25 shots and have two or three toughies, get some confidence and roll with it. But uh, we haven't really got to see the team play. The expression comes to mind. The expression comes to mind, hung out to dry. Yeah. 
that's the problem. And you know what? It's amazing. I, I've never, outside of the Flyers organization, I didn't realize there was so many former goalies in the city of Philadelphia that are such great experts <laughs> on whether the glove is up or whether the pad is up or what they did wrong. It's unbelievable. People that have no clue are talking about what's wrong with Carter Hart. Let's start thinking about the fact that how many players in the netting, in the goaltending position have come into the National Hockey League with minimum time in the American Hockey League and be successful. Okay, I'm going to tell you that it was Tom Barrasso. Yeah. Tom Barrasso is the number one guy won a Stanley Cup. Okay, so he was successful. Another guy that came into the National Hockey League that didn't have that experience that all of a sudden was a whirlwind success was a guy that had we had here in Philadelphia named Steve Mason. Okay, he won the Calder Trophy as the Rookie of the Year, but during that time period, too much, too quick, never learned how to play goal in Columbus, and as a result, he's out of the National Hockey League now. It's a very sad situation. So how did we get Carter Hart, and why didn't we allow him to play in the minors? Well, because we couldn't. We'd gone through eight goaltenders. We needed to have to bring somebody up. So he was thrust into this, this limelight, and we all went, wow, this guy is absolutely unbelievable. And he was. Fabulous. So now all of a sudden he's stuck behind a team that can't protect the goalie. He lets in a couple of bad goals, and it's traumatic. Why? Leave the kid alone. He'll be fine. This is just a part of the evolution of a goaltender learning how to play at this level. And all of a sudden the, the combination, the perfect storm came. Team not playing well in front of him, and he's having some struggles. He's not a, a problem, but all of a sudden, this is one of the, maybe the third hardest market to play net in the National Hockey League behind Montreal and Toronto. We still haven't got over the fact that Bernie Perrant isn't playing net. Okay, get over it. This kid's the future. Leave him alone. He'll be fine. In the, in the interest of my partner's blood pressure, let's change the subject. <laughs> Just, I, I do. Right, uh, crazy. I know it does, Steve. I want to end maybe on a positive note. Um, the Sam Moran thing was not only uh, a feel-good story, but uh, as the Flyers are looking for answers, and some of which are on the blue line, wouldn't it be funny if one of the answers to that question was right under their nose the whole time? I think we're all... Uh, rooting for Big Sam, aren't we? After all Sam had been through, where it looked like he was finally about to get his chance in the, the NHL back in back in November of 2017, um, and then he had the core muscle issues, and then he had one ACL tear, then another ACL tear. You know, the guy's rehabbing over and over and over again. You know, and and anybody who knows Sam in any context knows what a you know what an unbelievably good guy he is, and, and how hard he works. So, you know, I mean, his teammates were happier for him than they were even for the team when he scored that goal. I, I, I think that that was, uh, you know, that was one of the most uh, compelling moments really of the of the whole season. So that was really, really good thing for Sam. And he has an opportunity here. You know, if you look at the numbers game on, on, on the blue line, you know, Sam has an opportunity to get some playing time. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's a great opportunity for him. And, and yeah, I mean, that would be, be fantastic if he could earn a spot regularly in the starting six. They also need a little sandpaper, and and he brings that. Um, you know, we've talked about there's that nothing little about Sam. What's that? There's nothing little about Sam. He brings <laughs> that's true. A lot that's of sandpaper, uh, and I mean, he brings that edge, which uh, we've talked about. Maybe them going out and getting a forward with that kind of edge, but uh, you know, you can have it on the back line too. So yeah, I mean, Sam's 
just a, a great story. And we all know, I mean, he, he just bears his soul. So you know how much it hurt him. And I don't think any of us would have been surprised if after the second knee injury, he would have just said, all right, enough's enough. But he just, it was what minutes later he said, I'm not giving up. So, um, I mean, all credit to him for, for sticking in there. And hopefully he can. I mean, he's still got, you know, he's got a lot to learn even as a defenseman back there. And uh, But it would be great if he could fill that role of a, of a guy with uh, some some uh, grit back there that, that can, you know, play as a 5-6 and, and uh, you know, contribute. I think it's a fabulous story. I mean, anybody that's had one uh, ACL problem, they'll tell you that it's, it's hell. To do two and to come back. And, he, he, you know, hugging Brian, I mean, uh, Jimmy McCrossin after it was all done because they had to put so much time into it. It's just a great story. Then we're going to try him at left wing, and, and that didn't work out. I mean, he's got to go back to where, you know, his roots are, where he knows how to play the game. And the most important thing, if, if he can come in and, and do a, a great job on the left point, just what you guys had all mentioned. You called Sandpiper and we called Grit and things like that. But to have a guy like that, six foot seven, that's willing to fight and being aggressive in his own zone to make sure that a forward coming into that area is going to worry about going into that corner with him and just having him there. So in other words, okay, somebody goes after Giroux in the second period with the Boston Bruins. Let's say it's Frederick. And all Moran's got to do is skate by and say, uh, I saw you out there go after Giroux. If there's any problems, I'll be sitting over here. You come and see me. You don't have to fight. You have the propensity to fight, but you provide to your teammates that support and that good feeling that, you know what, we're good now. We can play the Boston Bruins. We'll play the Washington Bucks. We'll we'll take on the Wilsons of this world. And if he fills that void and understands, and he's got to be taught when to go and when not to go, it could be huge. It could be the trigger point to make this team better. Best example of that, and Jimmy, I, I know we both keyed on this story from the coaches, and it was priceless, but uh, Sam against the Rangers, instead of going to the bench and sitting at the end of the bench with the defenseman after one shift, the game was starting to get a little chippy. He went and sat at the other end near the Rangers bench and started yapping at bench, and boy, things settled down in a hurry. Man, that says it all. And he did that Very simple. Own. Yeah, and he did that on his own, which was that was good to me. It wasn't like Lappy had to tell him, "Hey, get down there." He he actually did it on his own, so you know he he gets that part of it, and that that's big. And with Sam being such a a big factor in that game, I think we're going to make that our PA lottery win of the month. Raffle into the New York zone. He's alone though. Swings it in front, unable to find a teammate with that. Obey Bell back to the line. A shot. They score. Sam Moran has got it. Sturkin and the Flyers have taken the two to one lead. He's the man of the hour, Sam Moran. And his first goal in the National Hockey League. The controlled puck batted deep into the Philadelphia zone. Two seconds left. That's going to do it. And Sam Moran comes in and plays the key role. After being outscored by the Rangers 17-3 in the two previous meetings, Moran enters Thursday's game and has a physical presence and then scores the game-winning goal in this one, his first in the NHL. It's 2-1, the final score.
Well, despite their struggles in March, the Boston Bruins are still in sight. They're really battling for the last playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, and it's going to be a tough fight. Remember, the Bruins, at least right now, have two games in hand. So uh, the Flyers, three points out, but still uh, in play here, and it's going to be an interesting uh, finish to the season. Remember, they've got five of their last eight games against the New Jersey Devils, so if they're close at the end, the schedule may help them out. With our latest broadcasters roundtable, for Jim Jackson, Steve Coates, Bill Meltzer, I'm Tim Saunders. Enjoy the games. The preceding program is an original production of the Flyers Broadcast Network. You can find this and other programs available on demand at flyersbroadcastnetwork.com.